Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I want to give this quick update. I know we talk about giving and generosity and and we honor your sacrifice as you sow seed into this house and what, what's happening all across our community and really what's touching the world. Um, many of you, you participated in our 320 offering at the end of last year. And I wanted to take a, a moment before we got into the word today to celebrate your giving and give you the total of that 320 offering. Again, it's 320 because it's based on Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, that says God is able to do what? Exceedingly, abundantly above. And so your giving is helping to create those opportunities for others. Last year, uh, you gave across all campuses $752,146.72. Come on, somebody say, yay, God. Hey, listen, in our current economy, where all of us are feeling the impact, let me tell you, that is huge. I rejoice over the goodness of God and your heart to help others. You know, it's easy to calculate a number, but it's impossible to measure the impact of what that offering is going to do, not just here, but all around the world. Can you say amen? So on behalf of all of our staff and our team, thank you for your commitment to give. We're in the middle of a series called Revival. Somebody say Revival. Revival. Mm -mm 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 -mm. And I believe God is moving our church in a specific direction. Do you sense that? Do you sense God taking us on a journey this year? How many of you in your own soul, you just know that this year is going to be different than last year? Come on, somebody say new thing. God is doing a new thing. There's a a fresh spirit in the church. I believe that there's a hunger within this house. You know, we're, we're leaning into the things of God. We've been talking about revival for this month, and we've come out of revival nights, and it's It's interesting to see what God does when his people lean in and they trust him and they believe him. We've been talking about different revivals in scripture, Old Testament revivals. We looked at uh, Solomon when he built the temple and he dedicated the temple and what God did and how that moment marked his people. If you were here last week, we talked about Asa, King Asa, and his reforms within the nation of Israel and how God blessed his leadership because he chose to follow God and not bow to the pressures of the world. Can I have a good amen? Today, I want us to look in the book of Acts. This is the, the birth of the New Testament church. The title of the message today is simply this. There's a new normal. Somebody say new normal. We're not going back. Somebody say new normal. No going back. God is moving you. He's moving this church. He's moving us into a a season, into a chapter, into a blessing, into an anointing. There's a different experience that many of you are having with God. And I want to encourage you, don't go back. Don't go back to what you used to be. Don't go back to the things you used to do. God's doing a new thing 
in the church. You know, Jesus came on the scene in the New Testament, and part of what I love about Jesus, he just would shake some things up. Don't you love that about Jesus? He just loved to rock the apple cart. He loved to rattle the cage. You ever had your cage rattled? You were kind of nice and going along and just kind of doing your routine, and something happened, and it just kind of shook you. What was that? Jesus came on the scene, and the things that he would say, it shook people up. The things that he did, it, it got people's attention. He, he introduced ways of thinking that the religious establishment just wasn't ready for. And I want you to know, church, when we pray for revival and when we pursue God, he's going to shake some things up. The book of Acts, if, if you have your Bibles open, you may see a subtitle, and it may say Acts of the Apostles. And you know, it's interesting how we call the book of Acts Acts of the Apostles, but it's really the activity of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. All the action in the book of Acts, it comes from the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that the Spirit-filled life is not some special deluxe edition of Christianity. Sometimes you read the, the Bible and you see the, the exploits of these men and women and, and you admire that and you think that's a whole nother world. Sometimes it's hard to relate because we see our reality and then we read what happened in the early days of the church and it feels like it's miles away. Am I talking to anybody? How many of you ever read the Bible and you say, Lord, I just don't want to read it. I want to live it. I want to see this thing come alive in my life. You know, a spirit-filled life, a life that's empowered by the Holy Ghost, signs and wonders and miracles and supernatural things, that should be normal. Come on, somebody say normal. For the church, for the people of God, it ought to be the norm. We shouldn't be surprised when we see God show up and show off. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Once you've experienced new places in God, there is no going back. And the book of Acts, we see a revival of the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And, and this gives us a blueprint. I want to take the first couple of chapters out of the book of Acts and see as the, the, the infancy of the church as it's taking its first steps. Parents, you remember when your children first learned how to walk? You remember that? Did you get their first steps like on video or you took pictures? Remember how you just went wild and you celebrated your kids' first steps? You know, it's like when they're young, you're trying to teach them how to walk and, and talk. The first couple years, you, you teach them how to walk and talk, and then you spend the next 18 years telling them to sit down and be quiet. Come on, somebody. <laughs> they take their first step, and it's monumental because, you know, this is the first step of, of many that they'll take throughout their life. You know, the church is taking its first steps in the book of Acts, and I want you to see how they walk, see where God takes them. I think there's something for us this is my prayer for us as a church and for you and your family. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1. The Bible says this, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers, somebody say all, the men and women, young and old, those who had faith, all the believers were meeting together. Somebody say together. They were meeting together in one place. Say one place. There's a reason why I'm highlighting these words and phrases. I want you to underline that in your Bible because this is showing us something about how God moves. 
Bible says they were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and every one present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Can I have an amen for the reading of the word? This picture, it shows us something powerful about how God moves the church forward. This revival, I know sometimes we read the book of Acts, and I read these portions of Scripture, and sometimes we get hung up on tongues, speaking in tongues, and, and sometimes the, 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 the charismatic activity of what happened on that day. Listen, I'm not interested in the tongue as much as I am being filled with the Spirit. You know, we said this before, you can talk in tongues all you want to, but really the fruit of the Spirit is controlling your tongue. Mm, come on, come on, home at me today. I'm not impressed if you speak in tongues, but I am impressed if you can control your tongue. See, the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost, but I want you to see it was birthed in a spirit of unity. If you're taking notes, write down the word unity. Somebody say unity. They were all together. They were in one place. The Bible says in one translation that they were meeting in one accord. That's not a Honda. <laughs> but it speaks of the spirit of unity that was present when God's spirit was poured out. I'm telling you, unity is a big deal in the body of Christ. If we want God to pour out his spirit, we've got to be unified. You see, I believe the number one plan of the enemy for this church, the number one plan of the enemy for your life is to create division. Can you see that we live in a day that is filled with strife and animosity and divisiveness? Do you realize how polarized we are as a country? How many of you can see that in culture? You can see that on social media. Man, it's, whether it's politics or whether it's some cultural issue, it's so pervading. The plan of the enemy is to leverage what's happening in our world to split the church apart. You see, division neutralizes the power of the church. Can you say amen? And it's not necessarily the big things, but the devil will use the little things to create strife. Come on, moms, dads, how many know what I'm talking about? Married couples, come on, talk to me today. It's the small foxes that spoil the vine. The enemy of your soul wants to create strife in your life, division in your home, animosity in your friendships, in your relationships, and he wants to split the church in half. You see, most churches don't split over big things. It's little things. And it's selfishness that begins to creep in. And, I mean, we, we live unto ourselves. I want you to consider this. Somebody say community. Community is a big deal. The, the Bible, the book of Acts is all about biblical community. The word community is a combination of two words, common and unity. Common and unity. There are some things that we have in common. We say it every Sunday. I'm not perfect. Guess what? Imperfection is what you and I have in common. Come on, talk to me. Can we just clear the, the, the room of any religious spirit that's in the house right now? The truth is you need the same grace that I need. 
You've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. Man, we fall short, and, and, and man, we're, we've got this human nature. We long to do what's right, but sometimes our flesh will pull us back. What we have in common, the, the, the commonality of this gathering is we fall short. So guess what? You know what unites us? The grace of God. It's the same Jesus who shed his blood on Calvary that forgave you of your sins. Guess what? I need that forgiveness in my life too. So here's the thing. Of all the stuff that could divide us, what unites us is even greater. See, the scripture says on that day, on the day of Pentecost, they were gathered in one place and there was a common unity among the church. Listen, I don't know who your enemies are, but they're not in this room. Some of you need to get your, you need to have a family meeting. You need to have a team huddle. Get the kids around. Say, hey, sometimes I've had to do that. When the kids were small, I said, listen, team meeting, I'm the coach. All the Hamanites, we're going to gather around here. Get, get together. This is the tribe of Haman. Let me tell you something about the Hamanites. I don't know who your enemies are, but they are not in this house. Get the strife out of your life. If you want God to pour out his spirit, you see, you say, Mike, why is this important? Because where there's unity, there's an anointing. Somebody say anointing. Now, that's a real churchy word. You say, Pastor, what is that? Anointing. You know what the anointing is? It's simply a special touch of God on your life for a specific assignment that he's given you. When you have an assignment, God will place an anointing on you to do it with supernatural ability. In fact, say, check this out. In Psalm 133, I love this passage. The Bible says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in what? In unity. Why? Because he says this. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robe. Now, that's an interesting picture. He first says unity brings an anointing, and then he describes what that anointing is. Aaron was the first priest of the Old Testament, and in order to be prepared for his assignment, they anointed him with oil from the top of his head. It ran down the beard, down to the skirts of his garment. Notice where the anointing starts, the top of the head. Come on, moms, dads. Anointing's got to be on your life if it's going to flow down to your kids. Man, if you lead a business and you want God's anointing on your business, come on, CEO, it starts with you. Man, you, you as the head have to be anointed so it flows down to your employees. It flows down to your children, to the next generation. If I want healing place to walk in a powerful anointing, guess what? It starts with me. I got to be in right standing with God. Man, if there's division and strife in my life, man, God's not going to release an anointing on us if there's division. And it's part of what I loved about our week of revival. I think we've got some pictures. If you missed Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday night, I'm telling you, God did some amazing things. I want you to see some of the moments that we had together as a spiritual family. We gathered on Monday night. We worshiped. Man, there was a hunger to pursue the things of God. Man, there was a spirit of unity in the house, both young and old. It didn't matter what generation. It didn't matter what color. Guess what? It didn't even matter what church you were from. 
Tuesday night, man, when Bethany came over and their band mixed with our band and part of their church mixed with our church, and Pastor Jonathan was up here, there was a special anointing release that night because it said something to a watching world. You know, the, the world has all the strife and division and hatred and animosity, but the church ought to be a picture of a unified body. How many of you know we are one body? When you get to heaven, there's not going to be a healing place cul-de-sac. There's not going to be a, a, a Bethany neighborhood. How many know there's not going to be the, this is where the charismaniacs stay, and then the Baptists are over here in the quiet dead end. That's not heaven. Heaven is every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language, every people group. And when the church is unified, God says, I'm going to place my anointing on that group. You see, if we want the spirit of God to be released, we've got to work to stay in unity. You know, you need to get good at conflict resolution. You know why? Because conflict's not going anywhere. Some people think, well, if I get saved, I'm just going to have peace on every side. Oh, no, no, no. You'll get saved and all hell's going to break loose in your life. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's preaching right now. You say, Mike, man, this thing got hard. I got serious about God and things fell apart. Guess what? It's because the devil is attacking what God's blessing. Ooh, I like that. I got to hustle. The book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, the church was birthed. We took our first steps. They were wobbly. They were uncertain. But as a, as a baby being birthed, the book of Acts church started with this first step of unity. And something supernatural flowed out of that. And if you read the next chapter, in Acts chapter 3, you're going to see this. Number one, everybody say unity. Number two, somebody say prayer. Acts chapter 3, the Bible says this, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Look at what it says in verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them, for some money. Now let me stop right here because many of you know how this story plays out. He asked for money, but what he got was a brand new pair of legs. <laughs> Isn't that just like God? You're asking him for what you want, but he's giving you what you really need. He's asking Peter and John for money because he sat at that temple gate every day. And what did Peter tell him? He says, listen, I don't have any money, but I have something that money can't buy. In the name of Jesus, he spoke to that man who had never walked a day in his life. And guess what came to him? Power came to these weak and wobbly legs. He stood up. The Bible says he was walking, he was leaping, and he was praising God. Now, what's interesting, again, just as on the day of Pentecost, we get hung up in the charismatic movement, but we miss the unity that was required for God's Spirit to be poured out. We read Acts chapter 3, and we thank God for the lame man that was healed, but we forget, how did it happen? Peter and John were on their way to the prayer meeting. 
Oh, now it got quiet in here, didn't it? Every time you turn around in the book of Acts, the church was praying. Every, what were they doing in the upper room on the day of Pentecost? They were praying. What were they doing that afternoon when the lame man was begging at the gate? They were going to the prayer meeting. You say, Mike, why don't we see more supernatural in the church today? Do you really want to know? Maybe because of our prayerlessness. Because if you want to see great things, you have to seek the greater one. Mike, why don't we see more? We got to seek more. Man, we got to press into the presence of God. Man, we got to go after him. There's a reason why that the spiritual temperature of this church is elevated. Can I tell you, y'all are running fever today. Y'all got a fever. And you know what it is? It's the spirit of God that's being stirred inside of you. The temperature of HPC is starting to elevate. Why? Because when God's people pray, the spirit of God begins to move. You know, I heard this said years ago, and it's, it's interesting because they say you can tell how popular a church is by those who show up at Christmas and at Easter. You can tell how popular the pastor is by those who show up on Sunday mornings. But you can tell how popular Jesus is by those who come to the prayer meeting. <laughs> I knew y'all would like that. <laughs> but the truth is this. There has never been, let me say it this way, a revival has never been birthed out of a concert or a conference. Revival is birthed out of a prayer meeting. Why is it important that God's people pray? Because when we pray, he begins to align our perspective with his. You begin to see things differently when you seek him. Reminds me of a story I heard about a young man walking down the street, and he sees this older gentleman. He had this washing, machi washing machine in, in the front door, in the doorway of his front door of his house, and he's kind of wrestling with this washing machine. So the young man sees the, the older guy struggling, and he runs over, and he helps him. And, man, they start pulling and twisting and tugging and pushing. After about a minute into it, the young man stepped back. He's like, man, I had no idea. It would be so hard to get this washing machine out of the house. And the old guy said, get it out of the house. I'm trying to put it into the house. Now, how many of you know the young guy's intentions were good, but he was working against what the older guy was trying to accomplish? You see, you know what happens when we pray? We start to cooperate with God. See, there's something cooperative when you pray now. You're beginning to get in sync. There's a flow. Come on, somebody say flow. I believe there's a divine flow. The Bible talks about the Spirit being a river. And I believe that when that current of God's Spirit begins to flow through His church, God's people pray and they get in alignment with that flow. You see, God wants to operate, but He needs you to cooperate. God wants to do something in you and through you, but he doesn't want you to be wrestling him to accomplish his will in your life. Can somebody say amen? And you wonder, man, what, why is everything so hard? Well, maybe you're not cooperating with God. 
When Jesus prayed in the garden before he was to be crucified, what did he pray? He said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but God, your will be done. What was happening here? Jesus in his humanity was aligning his will with God in his deity. And there's something amazing that happens when we get into that divine alignment. Can you say amen? amen? Now, let me say this before I move on to this, probably this last thought that I'll give you for today. Because prayer, it, it involves waiting on the Lord. And I feel like this is a word for somebody. Because you have been seeking God. And you've been trusting him and, and you've been claiming his promises and not seeing any activity. Let me encourage you, don't give up seeking the Lord. Don't give up. I mean, it's, it's darkest right before the dawn. The struggle is most intense right before the breakthrough. Come on, talk to me. Let me tell you this. The only thing worse than waiting on God is living in the consequences of not waiting on him. Won't you let that sink for just a moment? How many of you have gotten impatient and you've gotten out ahead of God? Sometimes we want it not just our way, but in our timing. And ask Abraham about him getting impatient. Abraham and Sarah, man, God had given them a promise to have a child, and this child would be special, would be unique. Abraham, through you and through this son of promise, all the nations of the world will be blessed. You're going to have so many descendants. You look at the stars in the sky. You can't even count them. That's how many kids you'll have. And yet Abraham and Sarah couldn't have a child. And Sarah gets a bright idea. She says, I know. I'm going to help God out. Have you ever tried to help God out? Oh, come on. Only three of you are being honest today. Raise your hand if you've ever tried to help God. You ever tried to inform God? Like, like you know, obviously God is not aware of the full story because if he were aware of the full story, then things would be happening in a different way in your life. And so we feel like we need to educate God. Come on, talk to me. Talk to me. God, let, 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 me, let me help you. How many know God doesn't need your help? You know what God wants from us? He wants our surrender. Abraham says, you know what? I'm going to help God. I mean, Sarah says, hey, Abe, I got a great idea. Since you can't have kids with me, how about you get with my, get with my servant girl? Y'all two get together. We, we're just going to figure this out on our own. And Abraham's like, well, okay. If you insist, come on, read your Bible. I'm not making this up. How many know that God uses imperfect people? Hey, this is Father Abraham, and then this is the, the father of our faith that we talk about. He says, oh, okay, Sarah, if, if you insist. And so they get together, servant gets pregnant, and then Sarah blames Abraham and says, it's all your fault. <laughs> oh, man. Abraham should have waited on the Lord. The only thing worse than waiting on God is having to live and the consequences of not waiting on him. Listen, hold on to the promise, even if you don't see anything happening. Man, hold on to the word of God, even if you don't feel anything happening. Let me say this. Trust God, even when he seems to be blessing everybody else, except for you. 
God's timing is perfect. Come on, somebody say unity. Somebody say prayer. Somebody say opposition. Check this out, Acts chapter 4. Let, let me wrap this up. Ask the band to come up. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people. Now, again, Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Peter and John were praying on their way to the temple. The lame man gets healed. Look at what happens in chapter 4. While they were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders, now notice it was the church. <laughs> oh, let's stop right here for a minute. Who? Notice who was upset at the move of God in the early church. It wasn't the world. It was the religious leaders. Bible says they were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there's a resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. Somebody say opposition. Now let me say this. When, you, when you're united in your heart, in your home, in a church, when you're committed to pray, to seek God's face, to wait on his timing, I want you to know that the devil is going to rear his ugly head and he's going to do everything he can to oppose you. In fact, I'll say this. Some of you just need to get out your calendar and on tomorrow, whatever your to-do list, whatever your schedule is, you need to write the word resistance on there and circle it because the enemy is going to do everything he can to resist the things of God in your life. He's going to fight you every step of the way. Don't worry when you face resistance. You ought to be worried if you're not being resisted. In fact, I'll say this, the bigger vision you have, the greater opposition you'll face. Let me, let me say that again. It's going to set somebody free because you have a big vision about your future. The bigger the vision, the greater the opposition. You read the book of Acts, every step they took in God, they stirred up some devils. And I want our church to be ready for this. Be ready. Come on, be ready. Get ready, get ready. New levels, new devils. When you go to a new place in God, you're going to face enemies, opposition, resistance. And it may surprise you where it comes from. Oh, come on now, hum at me today. Mm. You may be surprised that resistance comes from your own family. You may be surprised that it comes from people who are supposed to be walking with God. They'll see the hand of God on your life, the favor of God on your life, and out of jealousy. Listen, isn't, why, isn't that why they crucified Jesus? They were so jealous of him that they had to make stuff up about him. They had to lie about him to get rid of him. And guess what happened? Okay, check this out. They crucified Jesus thinking that they would, they would end this message because they've killed the messenger. But what they didn't realize, that in killing Jesus, they raised up an army of believers that would turn the world upside down. And even in the midst of persecution and opposition, the gospel spread 
It went from the north, the south, the east, and the west. They said, kill us and we multiply. It scattered them to the ends of the earth and the message of hope was spread like peanut butter on a piece of bread. Come on, somebody say peanut butter jelly time. You know, there's an art to making a PBJ. Is there not? Come on, talk to me, anybody? How many of you are, are just kind of like a PBJ snob? There's a certain bread that you have to have. Come on, how many of you like that? There's a certain peanut butter that you need. Come on, don't give me that weak stuff, that cheap stuff. I need that creamy with a little crunch. How many like that crunch up in that peanut butter? All right, I knew I was talking to, how many of you don't like the crunch in your peanut butter? Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. But when I make a PBJ, I got to take that peanut butter and I got to spread it all the way to the edge. Don't just put a scoop. Come on, I'm talking where we live now, right? You're like, yeah, he's right. You don't just put a scoop in the middle of the bread and mash it. Man, I hate to take a bite of a PBJ and all I get is two slices of bread. Listen, the gospel spreads to the edges of the earth. Even in opposition, persecution became their pulpit. They stood before kings under trial, under the threat of jail and even execution. And it was then that they spoke of the gospel, the power of the resurrection before kings, before courts, before communities. Your persecution will be your pulpit. Whatever problem you're facing right now, God's saying, I want to use this problem to spread the gospel in areas that it hasn't gone before. Amen. You receive that. Come on, put your hands together if you believe that today. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.